0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Today, Derek Graham, my name, I am back, and I greatly thank my host, and friend Nitten Gower for looking after it over the past three weeks. Well done, Nitin. I've been a thoroughly um, enhanced and and uh, and smiling listener <laughs> at the other end of this while I've been travelling. Thank you.
1: Well, welcome back, Derek. You certainly were missed. I was I was driving solo, and so were you. I take it you were, you were driving and tell us a bit more about your journey, but also give me a feedback um, as a listener. How did we how did we sound I'm, I'm just curious was oh. it informative was it like ah uh, he goes he's, there he goes again what's the feedback I mean not at all I mean
0: you know this is what now we're on our 60 something or other episode now um and I, and I think we're getting a little bit better each time uh, and really that's all about making sure we engage <laughs> our guests and ask them you know to the questions are going to bring them out and give us the information that the the listeners are going to want the most and and that's what we try to achieve. Um, along the way, we learn a lot and we engage in an industry that we love. So um, so it's been very good. True. Hey, we went on three weeks of holiday. And what we did is we went, I'm a car fanatic, as many people know, right? And my obsession course, is, yeah. is Porsches, right? And the reason why is the damn good driving car. They're engaging to be involved with. There's many different models, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go on. This is a whole half-hour program. We could do this. However, I'm based in Perth in Western <laughs> Australia, and so are my members of our club here. So we transported 20 cars 3,400 kilometers across the nation. Wow. Melbourne, and then <laughs> we amazing. transported 20 cars. 400 kilometres across Bass Strait to an island called Tasmania, for those around the world that don't know it. Um, And Tasmania is a beautiful island on the southern section of the eastern seaboard of of Australia. It's about 68,000 square kilometres in size. Um, look, I don't know that's going to be really helpful to Americans. I'm not quite sure how many football ovals that is, because that's how you tend to measure everything. <laughs> <over there. laughs> but to give you an idea, it took 17 hours. It takes 17 hours to drive around it nonstop, so it's not that big, um, but it's truly magnificent. 20% of the entire state yeah. is virgin temperate forest, and you've got a small awesome. population of about a million people, maybe less. Um, on on an island that that really has great infrastructure and great roads. Um, so to speak the language of an enthusiastic driver, I drove a road that went for 115 kilometers to the Gordon Dam and stopped. It's one way, dead end. Oh, my God. Right? That's, and, that's so cool. um, and then the same distance back. And in that 115 kilometers, I saw four cars.
1: That's Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And I, I have been to Tasmania, and I'll tell you uh, some of the best landscapes and some of the really cold waters. Um, uh, you know, is is what I experienced. Not to mention the food and the oysters and just fresh uh, sort of food. So I think uh, you know I, I'm certainly envious of the experience that you bring about, and love to hear more and share more pictures at some point, Derek. So welcome back. Uh three weeks sounds just fantastic. I'm I should do that as well this year.
0: I Wonderful think. experience. And I so recommend Tasmania for the drivers of the world. Uh, while we were there, we saw the Bentley Club and the Rolls-Royce Club and the BMW Club and the WRX Club. Well, we <laughs> didn't invent driving around Tasmania, clearly. Um, so and I also, it's an incredible place to hike. It's just the the temperate forests yeah, I did that. are exquisite. Um, so it, it's superb. So to get so many cars across the nation to have forty people all travelling together, there's a degree of simpatico that's needed, a degree of working together, yeah. and 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 that worked extremely well. That doesn't seem to be happening while I was away in the crypto market.
1: So <laughs> that's <laughs> true. It's been just nonstop, and now that you're back, uh, help us fix this, Derek.
0: Well, you know. <laughs> So we've chosen the topic tonight, which was just a powerful one. And that is what's happening, of course, between, between Binance and FTX. And while I was away, back in November 2, Coindesk did an article reviewing the interconnected assets of FTX Exchange and its subsidiary, Alameda. Now, this is intriguing. So one fact-based outlet was able to break this entire story and change history of this marketplace. Well done, Coin Coindesk. So the heading at the time was divisions in Sam Backman-Fried's crypto empire blur on his trading titan Alameda's balance sheet. Well, this is all about regulation, I think, and about disclosure. But anyway, let's get to that towards the end. The balance sheet is full of FTX, specifically FTT tokens issued by the exchange it shows Sam bankman frieds trading giant Alameda rests on a foundation largely made up of a coin that his sister company invented, not an independent <laughs> asset like a fiat currency or any other crypto. So, so the majority of the net equity of Alameda business is actually FTX's own controlled self-created assets. Other significant assets on the balance sheet include about three point seven billion, $3.37 billion of Solana's blockchain native token, Three, $292 million of unlocked Solana and $863 million of locked Solana and $41 million of Solana coll- um, collateral. So clearly SBF was an in early investor in Solana. Other tokens mentioned by name are, C- uh, are Serum, which is also an SBF um, co-founded product. So... Seeing a competitor weakened, Binance went on the edge. <laughs> Binance's CZ is the name of the C, the, the abbreviated name of the CEO, um, amped up the, the pressure on Sunday by saying he planned to sell his holdings in FTX's FTT token since CoinDesk um, story um, broke. So liquidating our FTT says CZ is just a post exit risk management. Learning from Luna, he tweeted. We gave support before, but we don't pretend to make love after divorce. We are not against (laughs) anyone, he says. But we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs. Fighting words, fighting words. So things move fast in the crypto industry. Three weeks feels like an eternity. But during the last nine days, um, FTX went from 100% rival to an acquisition of Binance, potentially, because there's a heads of agreement in place. Yeah. So FTX agrees to sell itself to a rival Binance. is now the heading on on, on CoinDesk with the two major crypto exchanges signing a non-binding letter of intent, says, the, says Sh- um, Shang-Peng um, Xiao, who's the CEO of Binance. Now, the outcome of this, of course, is a whole lot of collateral damage. The most obvious collateral damage is price. So FTT is down 74% in the last 24 hours alone. Bitcoin's down 9.9%. Ethereum's down 15%. Solana, of course, which has got a cloud hanging over it now, is down just 19% in the last 24 hours. And Serum's down 26%. Nitin, this is another Pandora's box, isn't it? I mean... Yes, it's robust competition mm-hmm. in play, but at the same time it appears to me that it's a poorly communicated or poorly regulated section of disclosures here. These related party transactions as we would call them to corp to public corporate companies um should be thoroughly disclosed as related party transactions and they also should be thoroughly stated as being probably discounted rate of real value in that which I understand Alameda did discount some of its FTT tokens um, but with such a lot of inter-ownership in place we're really not seeing the true value and that's what we saw with the collapse of of this position do you think this is just solid competition or do you think this is another opportunity of saying hey the regulations just aren't robust enough?
1: No, I, I think that's an interesting question. Jeremy Lair, the CEO of Circle, who has been quite vocal in terms of you know being regulated, doing everything by the book. Um, they've done some very some really strong self-attestation every 30 days. I think he had a thread on Twitter and he did actually discuss the sense of urgency exactly to your point, is that there's a whole element of regulatory arbitrage where you have different jurisdictions, have different regulatory elements and entities like, for example, Binance, Certainly have taken advantage of that. Entities like FTX, being based in Bahamas, have taken advantage of that. And he's urged the the lawmakers to have the sense of urgency around these disclosures. Uh, and and that's I think to this this echoes to your notion of the fact that you know what is you know what is the disclosure here? I mean, are we waiting for CoinDesk to tell us this? In the sense that you know, one thing that to me clearly stood out, which is again, there was an article that I read, I think about a few years back. In what is treasury? So if I look at tokenomic system, and I actually spend a lot of time, as you know, on understanding tokenomic systems. Um, you know, are we com- are we treating tokens as equities? And if that's the case, they're also part of treasuries, which you technically cannot. If a company actually has outstanding shares, there's a market valuation around that, but the, you cannot treat your unissued or what what uh, stocks that you have. As a part of your treasury equation, and so there's a little bit of this nuanced element of how these entities are issuing their own tokens, collateralizing these tokens, and that essentially becomes like a monopoly money of sorts, where yes. you issue X like amount of tokens, and that token becomes sort of your collateral, and that collateral goes around, it becomes circular economy, exactly similar to the contagion of incompetence that we have seen with 3AC and you know Celsius of the you know of the world. So I think there is a sense of urgency in terms of what is uh, generally, current acceptable practice the gap which defines the accounting methods that defines the disclosures that each of these entities have to make. I believe, and I did some spend some time in looking into MiCA, which is you know the market infrastructure for com- for for crypto assets in Europe, which then talks about exactly this. Like, what's the disclosure? You need to have an office. You need to have a white paper that describes the tokenomic systems that describes mm. the reporting structures that you have to do. But more importantly, that none of this. And to me, this the way this unfolded. It's a matter of a few tweets that led to a little bit more, you know, inspection into FTX and as an exchange, which was darling of media. Uh, he is, was spending fifty million to uh, a cam- election campaign, which I thought was strange. That if if you knew, it's unlikely that he didn't knew what was going on. Why would you? Why would you not want to use that money to? To, for for better use than, than political campaign, quite vocal talked about the uh, the DCCP Act uh, in the in the U S. So there was all these things going on, and I'm wondering that the FTT token didn't we not know that one? It's issued by FTX. It's sort of an equity into FTX. It's using that as collateral. Alameda had some FTX tokens as, and, and the adjacencies around it, which is the companies that have invested into FTX, the likes, the powerhouses of the Vision Fund, SoftBanks and Tiger um, sort of investments. And, and and the entities that FTX Ventures have invested into, they had a, a war chest of $2 billion uh, into largely uh, Solana led ecosystems, Serum, Oxygen, Maps, FIDA type tokens. What happens to that? What happens to that whole ecosystem? To me, there's still a long way to go in terms of this again. Uh, and more importantly, Derek, what uh, the the Celsius and, um, the, uh, block 5 and Voyager. the 3AC uh, block five that happened, what, in March this year? Yeah. Sometime. And it's November. So I'm just wondering: Have we not learned lessons from the importance of liquidity, importance of disclosure, importance of transparency from that experience? That this has to happen all over again? That we are tweeting to say everything is fine, and next thing you know, a day later, we're like, you know, it is not really fine, and we need help. And uh, and Binance found an opportunity, and 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 to, and that'll be interesting too, I think, in terms of uh, you know uh, Binance's sort of uh, letter of intent and their intent to acquire ftx it has uh, some regulatory headwinds both in terms of ftc the federal trade commission even though they headquarter in bahamas but they do serve us customers and that, that 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 makes it uh, you know some elements of this transaction to be under us jurisdiction uh, and historically, Binance has had some challenges in, in the United States. So I think that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, mm. regardless of the merits or demerits. It'll be it'll be interesting pieces of it. But to me, it's uh, uh, this week um, between uh, Elon Musk acquiring Twitter and all the fiasco on the blue check box and how Twitter is going to f- make money from it. And now you have midterm election. That's uh, certainly a U.S. agenda today. And then you have SBX. Uh, I mean, I've been constantly i even I, I didn't get a chance to prepare for this podcast either that's how much reading there is to to be not to mention other things that are happening adjacent to ftx and binance fiasco so it's 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 a lot it's a lot to digest yep. and I, i'm mm-hmm. sure in days to come there'll be a lot to a lot to unfold but I'd love to see what is what, what what has been i know it's your day two or day one and you're still recovering from your uh long trip <laughs> um what is you know i and, and and you're right it's it's a lot to catch up on in, on day 1 uh, i'd love to hear what is your sort of analysis from from uh on on your return back
0: well i'm disappointed today that um i can just walk to the fridge and get lunch and not drive 70 to 100 kilometers to a restaurant in the country i can tell you that um <laughs> but uh what what i think is intriguing also is of course that ftx and binance um have been competitors in so many different ways. And of course, Binance funded FTX to begin with. It was one of the major investors in it. So it's sort of come full circle and now they're buying it back out. But part of what they were competing against is part of what we're saying here. And that is Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager. They're all been picking over the bones of these companies that have caused the previous scandal. And here they are the two of them picking over the bones of these companies um, in themselves finding themselves embroiled in an outcome which is uh, going to have to be reviewed and and i really think yeah. we'll form part of history into this <coughs> space I'm, I'm not a pessimist relating to certainly this transaction very disappointed with celsius and blockfi and voyager and um you know but what this is is that it's the maturing of the industry And yes, it's costing money, and it's costing investors money, and it's impacting the credibility of the industry. Um, But this is the first new asset class since the mid-1600s when the Dutch invented equities. What do you think, Nitten? It's suddenly become overnight fully effective and regulating and working smoothly?
1: Of course not. Yeah, it's no, going I to think this one while
0: so to, uh, a while yeah. for it not just to evolve with its own regulations, but for the regulators to try and work out how to appropriately regulate it, which is a discussion we've had many times. So, so I, I think there's a, a lot going on there. Twitter, just for one moment, is intriguing in so many ways. So, firstly, <laughs> you know, the naysayers and and um, conspiracy theorists would say that Twitter, you know, was fouling because. You know, there was all of these sort of um, what, you know, politically correct statements on it. Well, in actual fact, Twitter's been increasing in size for the last five years at five, at somewhere between 7 to 8% per annum. It was just taken over for $44 billion, the single largest ever um, private equity takeover of a technology company. It's not failing. It's doing extraordinarily well. Yeah, I know. To to <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. Hardly a failure. It, it, it commanded the value.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. True. So so, so there's so much sort of stuff that's spoken <clears throat> about with Twitter that it's just simply not correct. However, um, that's history, and now the future's getting made with Elon Musk, and he's pumping out, um, you know, up to 100 tweets a day um, out of Twitter, and, and you know, it's starting to become um, just a wall of noise. Uh, I, I do hope, personally, that Twitter keeps some degree of morality in its <laughs> communication, because what's interesting is if that goes, people will leave the platform. It's all very well saying, hey, you know this is uh, you know a free platform to speak on. But what's intriguing is that is that there was a lot of controversy about um, Donald Trump and his statements. when and he had seventy two million followers. When he left, the Twitter sphere increased its volume turnover of communication by twenty two percent in a week. So in other words, everyone felt that they could go out and communicate again. And so there is a degree out there that if it's a safe place to be, many people will go. If you feel it's not a safe place to be, many people won't. It's going to be intriguing to see what actually happens with, um, with Elon Musk. And then, of course, what happens with him touting his favorite meme coin.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a great point that you bring up. I have seen this, and again, this is 2023 almost, that whether it's workplace bullying, whether you have these toxic characters, and you have them at every workplace, I have them in my workplaces.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the question then becomes that the competent people, only because they're competent and they want to spend the energy in more positive things, don't engage in yes. a much needed conversation, whether it's around yes. politics, whether it's on science, technology. Only because of these toxic characters overtaking, you know, not because of science or because of logical reasoning or inviting that to be a quote unquote safe and a a place that people can voice their opinion. So you have certainly a point around that is that the toxicity moves away and attracts a lot of other people. And that's true for workplaces. That's true for digital town squares, as as Ilon would put it. And so I think that's a lesson to be learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere, uh, whether it's a digital workplace or physical workplace, that toxicity takes away competence, and that is such a vital lesson to me. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Derek, that I, I I couldn't agree more with with you know with what you, you know what uh, with what you're suggesting. But what's going back to switching back to the SBF and FTX fiasco, it's quite significant because we were under the impression that you know fine all these crappy projects are over. Most of them are centralized projects and it has absolutely nothing to, one, do with technology. Two, I think this has emboldened the Bitcoin maximalist uh, for all the right reasons, I would say. Mm. Second thing is you still have amazing people, amazing projects. Many of us, and I was actually having another Twitter conversation with one of the founders of Outlier Ventures to say, you know, some of these people or some of these projects sort of is not just disgusting, but it it demeans the effort or it negates the, eclipses the effort of many of us who have been trying to understand the tech and apply the tech in a meaningful way. So I think uh, what's significant about this whole thing is that it does exactly that. It eclipses some of the effort and it takes a longer while for us to now go back and reestablish, which means now fundraising will be harder for projects. And even though you have some amazing and smart people doing these things, there'll, there'll always be a question to say, hey, if FTX could fail, then who's immune?" And I then begin to question the genesis of, it's been 14 years, genesis of Bitcoin, genesis of custodial finance, genesis of the fact that all of this is, all of the, I'm going to still label it as, as, as the contagion of incompetence is still centralized entities. This is still, this is counterparty risk. And many of the individuals are getting to experience counterparty risk for the first time. The reason why the regulated finance has, As much as it's criticized in terms of prudential treatment of assets, in the sense that every bank has to keep certain liquidity to keep it, again, this is a stress test. This is the test that every bank would have to maintain to meet the short-term obligations, to maintain enough liquidity, uh, to have fiduciary responsibility of the assets that the banks maintain on behalf of us as consumers. All these have come over time. And so I think for the first time, the consumers and the folks who have been impacted with this get to experience what a counterparty risk is. And that's become a household term, which was pretty much confined to the financial uh, sort of, uh, you know, industry in the past. So I begin to go back and think about this, Derek, that should we not take a pause? Yes, it's been 14 years and rethink the custodial finance all over again. Rethink what an exchange is meant to do. Go back into some of the DeFi protocols and DeFi projects and focus more on empowering, going back to empowering decentralized finance and empowering custodial finance, which is empowering me and you and others who rely upon exchanges to make it easier with non-repudiation, ability for us to host our own assets. And when we are engaging in many of the DeFi protocols, which are quite safe in their approach, quite safe in terms of collateral management of how they manage these collateral and how they sort of keep the safeguard the assets. I'm thinking on that. I'm thinking, can we make that better now? based on all these failures i'll pause here derek see if that even made sense
0: the opening discussion there was that so much of this failure that we've seen here um, with uh you know with Celsius and block and voyager etc um they're centralized they in actual fact are traditional they fit under traditional regulations There's probably nothing new in much of what they've done. It's just that they've operated possibly inappropriately according to those regulations. And so so that aspect is is really going to need robust regulation to follow it. And we know in Singapore, by example, um, that the monetary authority of Singapore has become particularly strict and it's become strict because some of the failures have occurred within its domain. And they are concerned, embarrassed, proactive, and now hopefully they don't overreact. Uh, portal asset management is based in Singapore, and the portal digital fund is managed out of Singapore by its management company sure. so we have to answer questions there all the time, and the questions are becoming sort of more prevalent and uh and and you know more um revealing We're fine because we're nothing like what they do, of course you know we're a, we're a fund of hedge funds of course um. So what's intriguing is that this is already having ripple on effects in this centralized world. But what we're kind of asking the question there is, is how do you make this um, algorithm-driven decentralized world operate effectively within a set of normal regulations? So that's, that's DAOs and DeFi exchanges and things like that. That's going to be, I think, challenging for many of the regulators to be able to cope with. Uh, sure. Because we haven't seen a lot of these DeFi exchanges collapse, because they're algorithm driven, um, and because you know those that have leveraged are leveraged into the exchange. The exchange itself is not leveraged. Um, so, so maybe what we we're seeing here is that the centralized aspect of this industry um, needs to bow to the appropriate regulations that are there, and the decentralized aspect of this industry. Needs to be enhanced uh, and continue to grow. What are your thoughts?
1: No, no. I actually, I, I, I differ. i bet to differ on that approach because if, and I, I've questioned this even on Twitter sphere or crypto t- you know, Twitter when we've talked about again the context of you know Ethereum's post merge. Now you have just a few, uh, and we've discussed this on on on, on this podcast as well. Uh, suddenly now you see the messaging. Uh, around censorship, you know, resistance and everything else. And I think, uh, you know, we started out with a completely different norm. And suddenly now we have become just a digital version of existing institutions. So where is the financial innovation in that context? I'll give an example of, of Celsius. So Celsius had certain assets locked into a DeFi protocol. And just because by the virtue of the way they have collateralized, they had to first pay down that asset to unlock the Bitcoins. They made that a priority. They made that a priority because there was an asset locked, and it was basically uh you know, overcollateralized lending, which is quite common in DeFi world. Well, overcollateralized lending to me, yes, it may not be the most efficient uh, sort of utilization of capital because suddenly you're putting in more capital for lending less, but it it negates some of the needs of if you counter that with the with the prudential treatment of asset, which is thirty percent up you know, what banks would have to keep for the asset they have lent out. I think in many cases, I think it negates, it balances that need out and saying that I don't have to maintain so much liquidity because I am dealing with over-collateralized assets and that triggers liquidation based on a certain events. If you look at what's happening in automated market makers, which is again, this is, uh, we have again discussed this earlier. So some of these protocols, whether it's automated market makers or whether it's some of the DeFi lending protocols, and there's a balancing effect on the market and so market eventually reaches high, you know what what uh, we have been discussing is efficient market hypothesis which is if all the information is available to all the parties then the price equilibrium is reached by the market and we see that on a daily basis in many of these defi protocols per se so i think there is a certain sense of financial product innovation and i think most of the fraud and by the way it's called fraud doper because there's so much fraud happened this last october uh, it's about seven hundred eighty plus million dollars worth of fraud, the highest ever in the history of crypto uh, that has transpired. But many of them were not because of flaws of the DeFi protocol. In many cases, these were there were technical challenges and glitches in protocols. And again, that is inspiring the industry to do better from technology yes. perspective. So, if I combine those failures, the seven hundred eighty billion dollar failures, with the failures and the likes of the entire value wiped out of FTX type events. I think it's quite big for the industry, for the industry, for the investors, for, and I think we had to rethink, we had to go back and drawing board and rethink this all over again, because I think this will have ripple effect on the companies that the FTX ventures had invested into. It'll have ripple effect on the companies that have, you know, you have a whole slew of companies who who are vested into this $25 billion valuation that FTX recently did. Uh, and you, can you imagine them reeling from this and making another investment for some time till the till the market sort of emerges from this? And that to me is the collateral damage of some of these things, is that suddenly now money dries up for projects that really need them so they can build a better product, a better technology, better secure systems. I think those projects are the one that are collateral damage of this of these events. Yes. I'll pause there. Derek, so that
0: well, clearly sense. it affects the entire industry, Nitin. I mean uh bitcoin was solidly trading at 21 and just a couple of days ago and now it's down to yeah. 18 and um and and we've seen these big drops of 15 and 20 percent in the well-known tokens however as the buddha's saying goes this too will pass and it's a matter of how long it takes to pass and what we learn along the way and and i think that's going to be something that is going to be hard to predict I hope that what we see here is that certainly the price impact is going to pass reasonably quickly with the stability of the acquisition. And assuming the acquisition is approved by the relevant authorities, it may well bed down um, those assets and make them stable. On the other hand, um, Solana then sort of becomes partly controlled or certainly engaged with by Binance, and Binance has its own... Yeah, blockchain uh... and it's a competitive position so now it's owned by the same group what is that going to do for Solana
1: yeah so that's a that's a really interesting one though uh, you know it as any layer one will take pride say we are really decentralized which is obviously not true we've seen that over and over again Solana goes down and the entire ecosystem and Binance even though Binance, this is another two very controversial topics uh, from the industry perspective but it's true like Solana is not exactly decentralized. Solana is largely backed by SPF, which is FTX sort of uh, you know ventures backing. Uh, Binance is backing BNB. So even though BNB claims to be decentralized, it's backed by Binance. And so while you have all these layer one protocols, one thing that comes out of it for me is that, of course, there's a vested interest in ecosystems and every layer one aspiration is to have as much ecosystem as they can so uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens post-acquisition to these projects who are quote-unquote um, decentralized projects to see what's the fate of them in terms of the longevity of them and where which ecosystem they move to, whether they go back to Ethereum or they move into Ethereum because Solana was an Ethereum killer, so to speak, or because of the influence now of the of Binance post-acquisition, if the acquisition goes through, move to BNB chain. And that is yet to be seen. Because there's still a, a, a good chunk of transactions and ecosystems, at least, uh, that were growing or at least, you know, but we're trying to grow on, on Solana ecosystem. The lessons learned for me, Derek, from all of this is, and I'm going to actually spend some time writing about this, is now spending more time in understanding tokenomics. So tokenomics, as you know, it's a token design. Uh, where does a token get its value? Uh, as you know, both in context of portal and research, our primary focus is where does this token get its value from? And if we can't understand that, uh, we apply the Warren Buffett uh, yes. motto to say, if you don't understand this, then let's not, you know, invest into this and let's not expose it to a risk. So we've always used that lens. And I think to me, I'm going to spend more time now on token design in terms of how many tokens and what are, what's happening with this token. And in this case, the primary culprit was driven by FTT, which led to the fact that, you know, ftx has its own token they were collateralizing their own token they were borrowing with against their own token which was i think a flawed approach not only to raise money but use that as uh mm-hmm. collateral for whatever money they use for whether it is for ventures or whether it is for political donations whatever the case may be so i'm going to spend more time now on mm-hmm. on trying to uh articulate uh that model better to say fine if a project is what we look into where is the total to, total token supply? Where is it going? Who's collateralizing it? What is the utility of the token? And if that doesn't make sense, or if it has red herrings, which I'm surprised that it took Coindesk, Coindesk's uh, sort of uh, exposure to do this, while quote unquote, crypto is supposed to be transparent. Mm. Why couldn't we figure this out earlier? I think we're just too busy. Uh, you know, and, and so so many distractions and maybe Twitter and election is, is, you know, is a distraction. But nonetheless, I think that is the lessons learned from this. So we learn from our failures and we build upon successes, I think. And
0: Nitin, there's not a lot of people with deep knowledge of tokenomics, the ability to dissect a token and understand exactly how it works and how it interconnects with its owners and and how it reflects on balance sheets in this particular case. And it reminds me, before I went away, I attended a conference in Melbourne and I met the managing director of one of the largest um, um, fund management companies in the world, the representation, the MD of, the, of that company here in Australia. And as I spoke with this person, I asked about their commitment into this space. And she turned around and said to me, oh, she said, um, we're starting a fund. And we're going to have our equity team manage it. And I thought, <laughs> funding what? A funding in tokens, in digital assets. Yes, yes. And they will manage it. And I said, there's it's not directly transferable, the knowledge of an equity team that does due diligence on equities sure. and that of tokenomics. And this is a big red flag to the industry. It's not directly transferable, that sort of knowledge. It is specialist knowledge. And a lot more people need to understand tokenomics Read white papers and disconnect their view of the standard way of and analysing equities. Uh, if they're going to succeed in this space, um, I'm going to be intrigued watching this fund come out of them. Um, but on the way through, uh, <laughs> yeah, we 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 just we have to realise that this is all about you know legacy knowledge and new knowledge and seeing how they work together. Hey, we're getting towards the end, and one thing I'll add towards with regards to tasmania again and that is that as i was touring <laughs> around tasmania i met a charming fellow whose name is chris malloy and he's joining us next week because his specialty oh wow is okay. data centers and and data centers of course mine bitcoin bitcoin likes to go course, where yeah. the power is green and is cheap tasmania is loaded with hydroelectric power systems So next week, we're going to chat a little bit about the greening of Bitcoin and the power that's generated out of that wonderful state of Tasmania and how it's starting to become a Bitcoin center. That should be interesting, Nitin. What do you think?
1: No, I think so. This energy equation, I'm really looking forward to it because in the last, I would say, pre-FTX election and and Twitter uh, news feeds, um, the lion's share of conversation was hash power. And how the hash power has shifted and is causing a downward pressure on many of the public firms, equity firms that have made mining their business. And many of them actually, you know, have declared are going out of business because of the of the energy costs. So I think it'll be a very pertinent and relevant conversation. I also would like to prepare for that, for that, for that chat next week, Derek, where suddenly in the market, I begin to view market as two camps: proof of stake camp and proof of work camp. So this is again the market share of these two protocols. Which are foundational uh sort of technologies that protect the network. Where is the money going and and what is the the transactional cost of each network? And that's my has been my focus for past you know for quite some time. So looking forward with that chat, and and I will make one more comment before we close, Derek, is that one point that you mentioned resonates so much with me is that that I see this day in, day out is the traditional finance folks uh making uh, a judgment call based on just the market reads of the traditional charts, whether it's Bollinger Bands, candlesticks, or whatever the case may be, and some serious lack of knowledge in the industry of the domain, whether it's technology and underlying custody systems and underlying market structure that governs these things. And that is quite unsettling to me to say that, you know, suddenly now just because you manage a market doesn't mean you can manage this industry. It's quite different. So we need to have the sense of humility, I think, in this case, where we can put our you know, knowledge and acumen together to first understanding the space before we make this big. And, and I think these failures are evident uh, of, the, of that structure.
0: Yes. Well, I think to add one last little thing about cars, turning up to a workshop with a nail gun, hammers, <laughs> glue and wood to work on a car engine is not going to work. You have to have a different set of tools <laughs> and that's what this equity industry mm. needs to learn along the way. Hey, um, mate, uh, good to be back. Good to see you. Thank you so much for stepping in while I was away and I'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends.
1: Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.